0: Welcome to the Unfair Advantage podcast, where we will explore the unique experiences, skills, and abilities high performers bring to bear in their field. In each episode, we will unpack the guest's expertise and insights to help all of us develop our own unfair advantage. Welcome back to the Unfair Advantage podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Dave Collins. Dave, how are you?
1: I'm very well, and it's a pleasure to be here, Alex. Thank you for asking me.
0: I am really excited for this conversation because I think we have a lot of really interesting things to get to. But before we jump into the fun stuff, just tell us a little bit about you and your background getting Gosh. here. Well,
1: I'm I'm now ever so old, but uh, when I started out. I was a professional soldier. I then became trained as a teacher and was a teacher, a physical educator in in high schools. I then went into uh, educating teachers, basically uh, teacher teacher development. Um, did my doctorate in psychophysiology, uh, actually did oh, did a master's at Penn State, which got me into the idea of psychology, um, and just sort of gone on from there, really, a researcher in, in psych, um, I was a performance director of British athletics for a number of years, um, done a, a wide variety of sports, uh, and now a uh, professor at uh, University of Edinburgh. Dublin City University, and run my own company called Great Matters.
0: You've done a little bit of everything, and it's pretty impressive. And so, like I said, I'm super excited to spend this time with you. You recently wrote a paper called It Depends, and it was about decision-making and coaching. Why don't you just start by framing up the genesis for the paper? Why did you decide to write it? Why now? And tell us a little bit about what it's about.
1: Happily. um. For me and my colleagues uh, it depends is the most it's the most fundamental thing in coaching because as a coach you 're constantly making decisions about how you should work you know what i what I should focus on, what methods I should use uh, and 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 the way in which I should vary my coaching across you know my squad of athletes or my team or whatever um, one of the things one of many things. <laughs> That worries me about social media is the way someone comes out with an absolute answer. So, someone says, This way of working, constraints led approach is the way. Or someone else comes out and says, No, 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 it's this way. And for me, that's not true. And it's palpably not true because there are some circumstances when you want to, in some sense, when you want to use this method, and some circumstances like this. Briefly, there's a guy called Moston, who did so Moston and Ashworth, Moston and Moston did marvelous work on teaching styles spectrum. Um, and, and pretty much what they had was a, a a range of teaching styles from command style at this end, do this, do this, do this, through to discovery learning at the other. And and it when I was training as a teacher, it made really good sense to me that if I was teaching repelling or abseiling, as we call it in the UK, you know, going backwards down a cliff face. Um, discovery learning was not a very good idea because the I mean the paperwork, gosh. Um so that was a good command style situation. Whereas if I'm teaching a, a, a class in in creative dance, and trust me, I would never, but if, if I was, command style probably wouldn't hack it. So it seemed to me sensible to go. There's no, you know, that there's a range of styles. And what you do is you go, now what do I want to achieve? Now the way I got into that uh, was as a teacher going, I, you know, you, you have to vary your approach. And you vary your approach depending on the age of the children, the, the sex, the sport, the whole range. Or whether it was range, raining at lunchtime, because then they were mad as hatters in the afternoon. The whole range of things. And when I became a psychologist, it, it struck me that as you're working with an athlete in a context... You need to make what we called PJDM, Professional Judgment and Decision Making. And and that's the posh version of It Depends. So really, it's the basis of why you're doing what you're doing, the way you're doing it now. So the why. It's not, it's not what you do. It's the why that you do it. And that's the basis of it, Alex. It's the basis of uh, coaching, teaching, leadership, sports site. Uh, we've just completed a block of work in strength and conditioning on the next strength and conditioner works there as well. So it's really about you choosing the, the best method, the optimum method for the context you're in.
0: What I love about it depends being professional judgment and decision making is it really legitimizes something that people tend to mock, right? People mock, at least in, in the States, right? People mock psychologists all the time for it depends. But I think what you're pointing out is, it depends is is real. That's that's not some cop-out answer. That's not some attempt to skirt doing something. That's actually based on real thought, data, experience, all the things these practitioners bring to bear. And so I think that's a really lovely framing of it. One of the things that strikes me about this concept for coaches in particular, is I think coaches at times feel like they are compensated to be certain. Like that's what their role feels like it should be. It, it does yeah, not perfect. always feel safe for coaches to say it depends. What, like, what do you make of that? And how do we move the needle to give coaches the freedom to do it depends better? I think you
1: use the term cop-out, which has been that's, – that, that's an accusation that's been leveled against us. Oh, yeah, it depends. That's just a cop-out. Well, if you just say, oh, it depends – you might be right. It might be a cop out. It, it's what it depends on, <laughs> you know. So then ask the secondary question and go. Okay, so I understand that what we're doing is complicated. You know, I'm, I'm working with a learner. I'm working with a client. I'm working to optimise your fitness. Anything, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm amazed when anybody doesn't see it depends as being fairly fundamental because I can't think of many. If any professions where people work with each other that doesn't have this sort of conditionality in it, so you know, I'm amazed when anybody goes, "Oh, that's just a cop out." So, well, if I just said it depends, then of course it's a cop out. But if you then drill down and you look at work in, for example, the idea of cognitive apprenticeships as being key to people learning. So, so for your for your audience of of coaches, teachers, psychologists, you're going. It makes sense, does it not, that you would vary your approach? That you might work with Fred different to how you work with Jane, different to how you work with Charlie, but you also might work with Fred differently if it's two days to a game, or you he's got to perform, or it's like it's an Olympics, than if you were working with Fred and he's got eight years to he's gonna go to an Olympics and try and win. So what's the problem with the conditionality the crack the real important bit is that the the practitioner teacher coach psychologist call it what you will can articulate the whys and wherefores and can have a discussion back and forth so a lot of the stuff we do with it depends um and i you know i highlight a number of my colleagues uh, lowell collins no relation um fantastic kayaker, canoeist, You know anything? You know, fantastic. Jamie Taylor, Mike Ashford, the guys I've worked. You know, there's there's a lot. But but we do a lot of our work in adventure sport because the consequences are quite important. You know, if you make a bad mistake, you might get avalanched, and again, looks bad in your CV. But the thinking patterns that most adventure sports coaches would go through, because of that immediacy and because of the hyperdynamic environment they're in. It's almost like, in our experience, it's a more accepted viewpoint. Whereas if you're a football coach, your football or our football, you make a decision, but the consequences of that decision might only emerge at the end of the season. So I guess the the, the so long as your guys, so long as your viewers, your, your listeners, whatever, are going, I can see that there's conditionality in what I do, under certain circumstances, you might do this. Under certain circumstances, you do that. Then the, the important step is that you almost think about, you articulate why you're doing what you're doing. So if I watch you coach and you go, how was that, Dave? My first question to you is, what were you trying to achieve? Okay. Um, I mean, we, we we put out a thing, uh, an approach we call a big five, different big five. And you would you would work with the coach and say, okay, so what did you just do? Um, with what goal? What? Give me three alternatives that you thought of when you were saying, oh, I could do this, I could do this, or I could do this. Tell me what would have changed that would have made you choose one of those alternatives instead of what you did. And finally, how and when will you be able to tell whether you made the right decision or not? Now, you don't do that every time because that's paralysis by analysis. <laughs> but you do do that with your peer, your coach mentor, your fellow psychologist, whatever. Every so often you go, let's just check my arithmetic on that session. What do you think? And, and, and so for
0: me, it's, it's how you would solicit advice. Make sense? It does. I really like the framework you just introduced. And I, I think this is a step that, that I don't know how many coaches actually take to sort of reflect on the decision making and the parameters that led to a particular decision, whether you want to call parameters constraints, yeah. context, whatever. Right. Yeah. The the other thing that's really jumping out to me here is the difference between substance and snake oil. And what I mean by that is for you to be substantive here, you actually have to have a pretty deep level of expertise to understand these would be the things that would drive or dictate a decision and here's the way that i'm seeing these particular factors in the moment right so if you're talking about fred and you coaching fred two days before an olympics versus eight years from an olympics knowing the trajectory of a two days away from a game versus eight years away from a game's um, the skill development that needs to go into it. what can you reasonably accomplish or not? and is even two days before an Olympics the time to be working on a particular skill right? It, it requires a really yeah. deep level of of expertise. And I think in some ways, like the complexity is really hard for people to to wrestle with. Um, the complexity of expertise is, is hard for people to wrestle with, which is why mm-hmm. I think people are drawn to snake oil a bit. But you see, what you're is, saying sorry yeah, hey, go, go ahead.
1: On. No, no, no. it, it just, in our, coach ed, in our coaching schemes and accreditation schemes, they're very competency-based. Um, and as a result, the guy gets a big clipboard and goes, yes, he did that, yes, he did that, yes, he didn't, no, he didn't do that, whatever, whatever. And, and, and we're not saying that that doesn't have a place. So, for example, if you're teaching climbing, there is a right way to tie a figure of eight knot. Can you tie a figure of eight knot? Yes or no? Great. That's a competency thing. But there are several different ways of of protecting yourself on a climb and and tying off. And then there are a number of ways in which you might interact with a client climber to convince him or her as to the best way to encourage them to, you know, the whole thing. So you've got got almost a mixed modality. You've got some things that are black and white. And you've got some things that are immensely shades of gray. And that's the crack. That's the difference. I mean, you know, it, but it's also timing, isn't it, Alex? I mean, I, you know, I'm ex-military. If we're getting shot at and the boys look at me as the officer and go, what are we doing? And I say, well, I'm not sure. Should we have a focus group? Should we go that way? What do you th- What do you say? Th- just have a show of hands. It probably wouldn't work very well. But if I'm planning something, then the essence of planning is to listen and, and to seek different opinions. So... You know, it's it's sex, comedy and coaching. It's all about timing as well um, as how you do it. So, you know, it, it, again, I'm, I'm surprised that someone is surprised. And I know you're not, but it depends is not pretty fundamental to leadership, to all these interpersonal interactions.
0: Extend, extend it. Let's take that a, a step further. I mean, we're talking about coaching, but obviously, co- coaches also play a role as leaders. We have people in the audience who are executives or management or serve in other leadership roles. You've given some lovely examples for how, how it depends maps neatly onto coaching. Talk about how it maps into these other spaces. In okay, so so in leadership, the people
1: I'm the people I'm leading are different. And not only are they different between individuals, but they're different from day to day. They're even different from hour to hour. They're different based on what they have for lunch, or whether they've got a hangover, or which side of the bed they've got. You know, all these different things are varied. And as 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 a consequence, um, you're not after uh, a leader who's always the same way, Uh, unless that leader knows that that way of leading is her or his optimum way of leading in this context. But otherwise, you're after an adaptability. You're after flexibility. You're after someone who knows that, you know, I need to G you up a bit because you could do better. But this person over here, I need to put an arm around. But this person over here, I actually need to performance manage them. Hey, come on, I'm putting you on a written warning. And so as a leader, as a manager... You you vary your style, and we know this. I mean, loads loads. You know, Bert Caren, God bless him. You know, Chelladurai, all the old sort of social psychology of sport that showed us that the the leadership style was situationally varied because the situation varies, the optimum leadership style varies. So, same thing. Um, as a manager, uh, I mean, I know you've you you've spoken about goal setting. You know, is goal setting a good method? Answer yes or no. Well, no, it depends. <laughs> it depends what sort of goals you set. It depends when you set them. It depends on the person's ability to reform, reward themselves. All sorts of things. So virtually anything when you have this interpersonal interaction will have a conditionality. And it's just an it's just an explicit recognition of that conditionality. If I go to my doctor and my doctor says, Dave, you know, you've got, you know, your, I don't know, your blood pressure's raised. We need to do this. I'm reasonably interested as to whether he's got it right. And I'm reasonably interested as to what alternatives I have. And that's the basis of informed consent. That he, he makes it simple enough for me as an ex prop forward and, you know, rugby player, et cetera, to understand why he's saying what he should do. And that's great. But if he doesn't, if he just goes, trust me, I'm a doctor.
0: Cause I ain't. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a scary place to be. <laughs> um, I guess what's coming up for me as I'm listening to this. I mean, obviously, this all resonates for me. But one of the things that I think is is hard here is it actually takes. Maybe special is not the right word, but it does take a very unique approach. Or, or special is the word I'll use. It takes a special kind yeah. of person to embrace. It depends, right? So there's it's one thing to sort of have the it depends framework or the it depends thinking. It's another thing for you to sort of embody that and understand how to carry that out and have the cognitive flexibility to do that. What would you say would be good starting points for people who want to embrace more of the it depends mentality? Like what characteristics should they be working on? What kinds of things can they do to push themselves into this place that essentially involves being a little bit more uncomfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty, being <laughs> flexible enough to deal with the varied con- um, context, you know, what, what comes to mind for you there? The e word expertise,
1: um, ex- expertise doesn't mean you're expert. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm married to a lovely lady who's always right. So that's great. You know, so I just, <laughs> what should I do Helps, But otherwise, there's always a recognition that you, that you, your, your, your answer, your solution, what you've done, what action you've taken is, you know, it's out of 10. Yeah. And if it's, it's not always a 10, it's neither is it always a one. It's, you know, so how, when I look at something, I look at it critically and I go, Okay, so how good was that? Um, could it have been better? I mean, for me, Alex, I don't know about you, but if I'm working with clients, I would always go, um, okay, give me, uh, give me up to three good things, and then give me three work ons. And and I had, I remember one of my dream consulting experiences was I had a guy who won the, won the world championship in judo, and we got him into the habit of going three goods, three work ons. And he came off, he just won the final, and he said, I've got to do it, I've got to debrief with you. Three go- Mate, you just won a No, 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 I always do it. And there he is, giving him three goods and three work-ups. The minute you look at a note, you recognise that you're not always right. So do you think everybody's really di- mate, finding it difficult to know that they're not always right? Well, you're right, <laughs> there are a few people around, but gosh, and, and thank goodness, there aren't very many of them. Now, what I guess, so, therefore, what you're saying is it's an honesty. It's not a, an, a, an awareness of I could have done that better, but it's an honesty to be able to go, mate, I'm not sure. Alex, help me out. Mate. You know, you've just watched me do a work with a client. What do you think? You just watched me do that session coaching. What do you think? And the minute you get that sort of relationship, the minute you get that openness to what do you think, why do you think that
0: hmm.
1: doesn't mean you're always right.
0: But sure as heck doesn't mean I'm always right at well. Does that make sense? It does. And you are opening the door for our offline conversation to come online, which is honesty. <laughs> right. So before we got on, we were talking about um, the ways in which sport broadly borrows and bastardizes concepts. Um for the sake of catch, sex appeal, who knows, right? Um, And one of the things we started with was was psychological safety. I don't want to spoil the fun for you. So maybe you can just wind it back for for the audience a bit, sort of explain like what were we talking about, why psychological safety or why not, Um, and the importance of grounding our our experiences or the work that we do differently.
1: I couldn't disagree with you about the borrowing constructs. And I think, again, because being ever so old, I've seen constructs come and go. And the thing that you recognize about new constructs, you know, sexy constructs, is that they're very often poorly defined. So, again, I can think back and I can go facilitative and debilitative anxiety. You know, it it took me five minutes to learn to even say it. But, you know, so what's what's that? How's that work? And so debilitative anxiety is anxiety and facilitative, anyway, whatever. And then oh, we've got mental toughness, mental toughness. You know, it's it's everything. And you're going, you, go in, you know, hang on a minute. And and you know, people, even the guys who research in it, were having sort of debates about well, what does it mean? And then resilience. And you've got, you know, all these they're they're, they're useful constructs. Of course they're useful constructs. But you really got to be careful how you define them and how you operationalize them. So the, the latest, or one of the latest hot topics, at least this side of the pond, is psychological safety. And it's a it's a construct, it's a very good construct from business. Uh, interestingly, sometimes you know the the, the 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 original literature on it presents different definitions. But you and I work in performance sport, it ain't safe. <laughs> you know, if if I mean the the, uh, the average life expectancy for a manager in our premiership football uh, league is, is 14 months, I think. Um, I mean, they don't mean they die, they get another job, but it, it's not a safe environment. And it's not a safe environment when you're getting selected and you're trying to win through. In, For example, you're working through an academy or, or whatever. You, you, you're going from high school to NCAA and hopefully from NCAA through to pros. But Lord knows, that's a pretty... Pretty rapid cutoff. So, in all those circumstances, you're going, are we very clear about the definition of what we're after? And are we actually using a construct that's meaningful for our environment? See, I like psychological openness. I want to be able to look, look, you know, look you in the eye and say, Alex, I'm really sorry, you're not playing well, mate. I need you to do X, Y, Z. But but you shouldn't feel safe because you're not. It would be false of me to give you safety, because, you know, the draft means that we might let your contract go. And what I want is a situation where people are honest about that, open about that.
0: Does it make sense? I, it does. And it really resonates for me. I mean, one, because I am generally um, averse to the rapid popularization of concepts, because I, I think it often means something is missing. And this Psychological safety, I think, is important um, and is a sort of nice aspirational space to to be in, but does not often really reflect the day-to-day, certainly of elite sport, but probably most competitive environments really, you know, have an element of um, the opposite, whether you want to call that being like cutthroat or, um, you know, more performance-driven, whatever.
1: Your, your points are well
0: yeah. made. Sorry, sorry to interrupt.
1: Your points are well made. Oh. I used to be—I used to be a teacher. God help them. God help them. But I taught maths, and I needed to be able to turn around to an 11-year-old and go, "Listen here, you know, Smith, you got a mate. You ain't trying. Come on, bit more, please, bit more." um Was that safe for the child? Well, I wasn't chasing with a baseball bat. Not in the first. You know, maybe later. but but i wasn't but but they were challenged and it was overcoming those challenges i was clear about the challenges yeah but but the, the environment wasn't safe i i you know i've got i've got five kids and they've all learned to cycle by having a bike with trainer wheels on and then you take the trainer wheels off and you grab them by the scruff of the neck and you run along beside them whilst they're like this, and then you have to let go. And they have to try, and they all fall off because their their father, you know, their father is a clumsy devil, and so therefore, you know, they have inherited a bit of that. But you said never mind, get back on, let's try again. Is that safe? I mean, okay, they're not gonna, you know, I'm not getting them to ride along a plank at thirty feet, but it's not safe. They're going to hurt themselves. But as a parent, I want them to push through that. And, and there's almost a, a, a developmental bit to me going, come on, you can do this. They feel upset. We talked about how, why talent needs trauma, and everybody got very upset about the word trauma. I mean, I'm not, you know, we're not chasing people and, and cutting their legs off, but they're put in a situation which is upsetting. And they're put in a situation where they don't feel safe. But they come through that. You support them through it, but you also expose them to challenge, and you expose them and say, "Go on, it. You can do that. Way you go." I yeah. work in I work in I work in ski and snowboard, free skiing and snowboarding, and the guys are doing moves that aren't safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ, <laughs> no, I can't even. I I have to do it in slow motion and then go. That's that sixty degrees, ninety, degrees. anyway, whatever. But the the essence of coaching in that environment is that the athlete and the coach trust each other enough that the coach will go, go on, you can do this. Go for that 360, go for that 720, go for that 16, whatever it is. Or sometimes, not today, mate. No, not today. Mate. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's open, it's honest, but I'm not sure it's exactly what business talks about when it describes psychological safety.
0: Yeah, what's resonating for me here is, you know, the original psychological safety talked a bit about kind of like freedom to make mistakes without fear of of reprisal. And again, like, I think that's nice, but I, I'm not sure that that's super realistic. Like in many high performance places, decisions and mistakes have real consequences, real consequences, yeah. like people lose their job, families get yeah. relocated. You know, it's not like, oh, well, it's okay, we'll we'll get up and get them next time. It doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge each other. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be um, compassionate about those those mistakes or failures, but it it does mean, you know, there's probably an element of this that's a little too aspirational. And and I love the honesty, the switch to honesty, because I think that that resonates for me personally. But the other thing that's now coming up for me is what you're describing is actually pretty hard. It's hard to create, right? For at least if if I think about the elite sport I've been around in North America, there is a pretty big fear of honesty generally, Mm -hmm. whether it's fear of finding out that you're not actually good enough or fear of being told that you're not good enough or that you don't belong or that you are good enough to play this role, but not that role. I guess I'm just curious kind of what you, you make of that paradigm and whether or not that's true in the UK too.
1: I think it's I think it's universally true um, with a social milieu, you know difference so um, the the social context uh, and the, the the social context in which you're getting coached, what your society thinks about uh, etc cetera, et cetera they're all all different things but I mean you know Alex you coached you coached football yeah your football right um, which I tried to play great game you know perfect perfect game for a man like me who just likes to hit things so that was brilliant but but you coach football and you would have had circumstances when you were developing a new play and you'd go let's just walk through this let's just try this out you wouldn't show them the diagram and say go for it whereas in the middle of a game you're now working in basketball the timeout will come and I love watching basketball timeouts because the the, the efficiency of the communication of information. But the guy will be going, right, you do da 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 Okay? Yeah, we go. yeah. So there are differences in context that means that you might have a relatively safe environment where people will try moves out or learn new skills. And it's okay. So, in I mean, I go back to free skiing and snowboarding. Um, we now have big airbags. And the guys can, you know, fly in the air and land on the airbag. And so long as they, you know, they know where they are, which in the air, which I wouldn't, but they do, they land and they're safe. And then they've got that move and they've done it on the bag. So then you go to somewhere nice and warm where the snow is soft and they try it out. And then they try it out in a minor competition. And then they go to the X Games or the Olympics or a World Cup. And it's hard, you know, blooming hard and blooming cold and they like give it a go. But you, so what you do is you graduate and you move through. But you're right, you know, in the middle of a game, if your fellow has, you know, try, you know hasn't, hasn't mastered moves by the time, then he'll, he'll get cut, he'll get chopped. So it is a case of, you know, a clear understanding as to what we're trying to achieve and how we'll work together. That's probably the best way around it, Alex, I think, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. I think there's an element of, of I think what's what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is it's not necessarily so cut and dry. You can be honest and still be thoughtful about what the progression looks like. You need that honesty to ground the rest of what you do. And. That that can be okay. It doesn't have to be as black as and white as you're good enough. You're not good enough. You can do this. You can't do that. And we we go back to, to it depends. I'm mindful of us having just a few minutes left. I'm really curious what you think is sort of the next evolution in coaching, right? You've you've written this paper to talk about. Um, professional judgment and decision-making? Like, Where does coaching need to go next to keep elevating the profession, to keep getting better for the athletes, better for the environment of sport and for coaching I th- itself?
1: I think it's an excellent question. Um, I think y- you've, you've, made, you've made so many good points through this, Alex. For example, you said everybody's looking for the next. Have you ever seen Dumbo? The elephant with the big ears and he can't yep. fly because he's got a magic feather. And every coach wants a magic feather. Yeah. And, and if, I, if I had a magic feather, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be selling it on the golf tours. <laughs> but there isn't one. There isn't a magic feather. What there is are people who are, who are inquisitive. I always remember reading about Martina Navratilova, who it struck me was, I'd look, she'd look everywhere. She'd go, oh, that's good. Yeah, no, but I can't use that. But that's really good. I'll take that. So the next step forward for coaches is probably to to avoid absolutism, if indeed there is such a word. So someone who says, this is the way, because there ain't a the way. (laughs) There are lots and lots of different ways. And the guys who were really clever are the guys who were thinking about and evolving their techniques and their methods. And they're they're acquisitive. They look and they pick up stuff. We wrote a paper called... um, Uh, vampires and wolves about uh, coaches who i am superior i know everything yeah sorry for the bad accent but you know i'm you know i know everything you know i have got the answers and then other guys who were really they'd literally hunt in packs look at that look at that oh it's great it's great great and the the vampires did quite well as coaches because they're very very charismatic and very very convincing but deep in their heart of hearts i think they're wolves I think they're looking over and going, what are they doing? Ooh, are they doing? So I guess my, e- my easy answer to you, and it's, of course, like any easy answer, it depends. It's, it's, it's a conditionality. It's a recognition of, you know, reviewing what I do, looking back on it and going, that was good. What was good? That could have done better. How could I done it better? Can you help me? Can you help me? Alex, can you help me? you can
0: happy days dave this was Hire the- us
1: Hire us we know we'll help <laughs> <laughs>
0: this this was incredible dave i'm super grateful for the t- find you follow you learn more about your work where where are you where do you live on the internet that people can see oh you gosh know? um if they if they if they google
1: for gray matters yep, Um there are 14 of us, uh, some super talented coach developers. I try and keep up with the guys as they come through. There's some super talented psychologists who I learn from every day um, as a very clever clinical director and a very clever medical director and my wife keeping us all in control. So, you know, look look for Grey Matters UK. Um, like I say, you know, that's I'll always have that on, on the stuff we put out even though it's, it's coming out through Edinburgh University, through Dublin City University. Yeah, um, it, that, just look there, mate. Look there, okay?
0: Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for the time. It was awesome to hear your perspective. We look forward to having you back.
1: Alex, my pleasure. God bless you. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast. You can learn more about the work we're doing helping high performers develop their own unfair advantage at our Substack at unfairadv.substack.com.